So how did your week go, I wonder? I'll bet you, there you go, that's good. That's not true of everybody, though, I'll bet. In fact, uh, oddly enough, just before we came over here, we, Don and I were talking, and I immediately said, it's not fair, because that's the way life is. How many it's not fairs happened to you this week? Because life's that, what, life's that way. It never was meant to, to be a uh, happy situation. And I don't know why God made it that way, but he certainly has made it. So things do not, maybe they're going to come out in the wash on the other end, but they certainly don't come out in the wash here, do they? In fact, even little kids understand that. Most of you guys remember Calvin and Hobbes. It's not been in circulation for quite a while, but, but it was awfully popular. And a lot of us are kind of upset or kind of upset at the time when he quit publishing it because I, I just loved Loved reading it in the paper. Anyway, Calvin here says, why can't I stay up late? You guys can. It's not fair. I bet you you kids know that line pretty good, don't you? Well, anyway, his dad, who in this particular strip and always was always just really calm, says to him, the world isn't fair, Calvin. Well, I know, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? See, I, I love that because, you know, life is unfair. Sometimes you find out this guy, something good happens to him and something bad happens to you. Well, why couldn't it be let something bad happen to him and it always something good happen to me? Why can't it be fair or unfair in my favor? Well, it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And we, we'd like to, to think that it would. But when we look at our passage today, I want to look at two different, histor- or two different backgrounds. There's a historical background that you can look at when we're studying Philippians 2, we're going to study the very text that, was, that, that Dale just read to us a moment ago, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But before we get to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I want to look at the historical background as well as the biblical background, which should be basically the same, but sometimes you, know, you, you learn different things from looking at it different ways. If you go back in history, the best history to find out what's happening in Philippians, in Philippi, is to go back to the book of Acts when they first when the church came into being. The Apostle Paul rolls into town, and it's one of those we passages, meaning Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. He was in the company. You can always tell when, when Luke was, was a witness to the events because he would say, we did this, and we did that, and we saw this, and we saw that. And so it says, as we, and that would be, and I've added this, this parenthesis, so you know who it's talking about, Paul, Silas, T- Timothy, Luke. As we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. She kept crying out, These men are bondservants of the Most High God. But Paul said to the spirit, it's an evil spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they dragged them before the authorities and said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. I think there must have been some prejudice there. The crowd rose up against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Then they threw them into prison. Boy, I tell you, old Calvin would certainly be singing the blues at this point, in a minor key, no doubt. He would say, what in the world? You know, know, this is not fair. I mean, all they did is, is go to you know, go into this town and say, we want to preach the gospel to you people. We find this woman who's in a pathetic situation being indwelt by an evil spirit. They cast that spirit out, and what did they do? They rip off their clothes, they beat him with rods, they throw him in jail. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Life goes on, though. Paul keeps preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit's already told him everywhere he goes, it's going to be rough sailing, and sure enough, it is. 
Years later, the Philippians find out that Paul once again is in jail, not in Philippi this time, but back in Rome, and he's there writing those Pepsi letters that we're talking about, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, remember that? So he's writing those. And then now we look at the biblical context, and when you look at the biblical context, you're looking at just the chapter of what was being said just before the chapter we're going to study, chapter 2. And so in chapter 1, for instance, in verses 12 through 15, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. We've studied this before, so read it, read it really quickly for you. The only point I want to make is you're still... He's still up to his neck in jails and jerks, right? I mean, it's the same old thing. You got, he's in jail, and outside the jail, you got the brethren making all kinds of noise because they're jealous of him as being the great apostle Paul in all of this business. And, and so here Paul just has to tough it out there. It's not fair. It's not fair. He, he was an old man to start with, and he's getting older, and, and life has beat him to a pulp, and it's just not fair when he's out there just trying to do the best we can. That's the, way, that's the way it is in life, though. That's the way it is. And so Paul then, as, he, as we start reading in Philippians 2, today's text, as we start reading in today's text in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul lays out four different sentences. I've color-coded them for you. Dale just read them a moment ago, and just in a moment we're going to look at them individually, so I don't want to read them again. But, we, but look at how they're color-coded here. Now, it's in the New American Standard. You're not, you know, other translations probably have it as well. But the New American Standard does a pretty good job of showing that Paul is inclined towards these long sentences. They want to literally replicate what Paul does, even though it's kind of a strange feature with Paul. Paul can do run-on sentences enough to drive an English teacher crazy. But anyway, uh, th these are just four sentences. But it makes it easy for us to see the four things that he's really emphasizing because each of them come as, as one sentence. Uh, more so in, in, you can see it more so in the original Greek than you can even in English translations. And what he does is this. He tells us that life is not fair, just like our little buddy Calvin would say there, but just go ahead and love one another anyway. The best thing you can do is, instead of standing around singing the blues, just love people. Just love people. This is the way he explains it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and comp compassion, make my joy complete. How are we going to make your joy complete, Paul? Even though it's unfair, at least give you some joy. He says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Love has a lot to do with this. There's a lot more to it than that, and he's going to continue. But love pretty well says it all. And Jesus says even love has a way of, of summarizing the whole law and the prophets. It just says everything. Paul says the same in 1 Corinthians 13. And the Jew got up every morning quoting this, this same passage caused the Shema about loving your neighbor and loving God and how important that was. And it's so important for us, and this is the way it works. This is the way it works. You say, you know, I'm, I'm aggravated because my, you know, I, I'm working on an old 1955 window truck. And boy, did I ever buy a rusty piece of junk. You know why I did? Because they won only wanted 2000 bucks for it. 
It wasn't, and, and it might not have been worth that. But anyway, that's what I paid for it. And I've been working eight years on it. So I go see a friend of mine by the name of Gerald that I hadn't seen for years and years and went to a, you know, a congregation, uh, and he's got one too. Only Gerald is well-to-do. He's got this big garage. He's not doing it in the backyard like I am with just, you know, hammers and anything else he can whack on it with. He's got all these, he's got all these things, and not only that, he started out with one that had almost no dents and almost ru no rust. He could, he could clean it off, and it would shine all over. You can't do that with my truck. It had rust everywhere, just filling in with fiberglass and everything to put it back together. Now, I could get a little bit upset, but there's one thing. Now, I probably would get upset with some people that, that, that they have it so easy, and it's not fair. It's not fair. But there's one thing that makes a difference. I really, really, really love Gerald. I do. I just do. In fact, when I found out some bad things happened to Gerald, it just broke my heart, and my heart is still broken because I do not want bad things to happen to my brother in Christ. I just love him. And so Paul's right, isn't he? That when you just love someone, somehow or another, when you love these people, when something good happens to them and it doesn't happen to you, you don't sing the blues about it's not fair. In fact, you go beyond that. You even prefer. You just say, I prefer that you have this rather than me. And that's what Paul says in sentence number two. He says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And so I look at someone like Gerald who has this, this truck that's going to look so much better than mine and be worth so much better than mine and to have so much more money to put in it to do it right in, in the first place, I look at him and say, I'm glad that that, that that happened for you. I prefer. I can go that far. It's getting a little harder, though. <laughs> Sentence number three. This is, it keeps turning up the volume a little bit. It's not just Calvin that's singing louder. Paul is getting, it, getting a little bit bigger, too. He says, serve one another. Now, it's one thing, Gerald, for you, you to have the, the nicer truck. I'm glad. I love you, and I prefer that you have it. But I'm not sure I want to go over there and polish it with you and work on yours. But that's kind of what's going on here. Have this attitude in yourselves, which, also, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be understood or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, a bondservant, a slave, it could be translated, and being made in the likeness of men. That's what Jesus did for us. He just emptied himself, he said, I love these people. This is not fair, just like Ray said. It's not fair what they did to Jesus. That's where our mind ought to go. Jesus says, maybe it's not fair, but I love these people. I prefer these people, and I will serve these people. Not only that, can you imagine God even became obedient? <laughs> Obedient. That's how far he was willing to go. You know, it's not like me going to work on Gerald's truck, and Gerald, he's finally taught me to go there and working on his truck, and before it's over, he's saying, hand me that wrench. Go over there and do this. Go over there. And he's bossing me. He's telling me what to do. Well, that's what's happening here. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You say, yeah, well, that's just talking about Jesus. That's not talking about me. But remember, we're talking about the Pepsi epistles the, where Paul wrote them all, all the ones that start with P-E-P-C, remember? And there's Philippians. There's also Ephesians. He wrote them from the same jail cell. Inclined to have the same outlines, the same points and everything. The way he put it in Ephesians, in other words, is a little bit different than the way he said it in the book of uh, Philippians. 
He said, be subject to one another. Here he says it about us. He knows that we should, by implication, figure out that we're supposed to have that same mind in us. And when we have that same mind in us, we ourselves will be obedient towards one another the way Jesus was obedient. Was obedient. When people just want you to do something, you love them, you prefer them, you want to serve them, and you just do, you just obey. You just do, do what they ask you to do. Or as it's put in Ephesians 1, we're subject to one another. Now I looked at that and I, I thought to myself, that sounds a whole lot like uh, Mother Teresa to me, doesn't it? Now I, some people say, I don't, I don't know, we don't know for sure if Mother Teresa wrote this, but we do know that Mother Teresa loved it so much that it was hanging in her office over, over in India and that she would read this on a regular basis. This meant something to her and you've heard it over and over. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. And she goes on. There's others, other things that she says. Just do it anyway. Now, Paul and Mother Teresa... I believe, are on to something here. Of course, no doubt she got it from Paul, from the Scriptures, and would gladly give credit to God and His Word. But regardless of what happens, regardless of how it seems to be so unfair, just do the right thing anyway. Keep on loving, keep on caring to the point that you'll even be obedient to one another. Just... So much fill your life with that. You know, you just fill your life. You know, it's like you say, I don't, I don't have time to sit around here saying, it's not fair, it's not fair. Leave that to the little children, the Calvins of the world. I'm too busy just loving my brethren. I got my whole life wrapped up in, in trying to, to take care of these people, and, and, and I care for them so much that I just don't pay a lot of attention to whether life's fair or not. Boy, I tell you, there's still... There's a little bit of Calvin kind of creeps back up in there, though, isn't there? And, and that's probably what, what you're saying right now. And all of a sudden, it, it occurred to me at this point in putting this lesson together that, that maybe I'd better kind of back the trolley up a little bit and look at it from a different angle just a little bit because there's got to be more to it than that. For the, in the first place, Paul only has in verses 1 through 8, he only has those four sentences. What about the rest of those verses that is a part of the subject that Dale read to us that goes verses 9, 10, what are we going to do with 9, 10, and 11? And suddenly occurred to me that if little Calvin was here, he would, he would be arguing about this. You know how you argue? He'd say probably it's still, it's still not fair. Not only is it still not fair, but he'd probably say, and this is the way really the argument would go. The, this, this is a psychological way that you talk all the time. Did you know that we humans do this? You don't have to memorize this. It's, it's, it is problem, answer, Problem, answer, object, uh, objection, and then the result or resolution of the whole thing. Uh, but they use this in debating quite often on the spur of the moment because all of a sudden you've got something in mind that you can follow it. You say, this is the problem. You and I were debating this back and forth. This is my answer. I take this position. And, but I know you're going to object and say this. Let me answer your objection. And then you do the resolution in the debate and you say, now wouldn't life be wonderful if we resolved it the way I'm telling you to do it, you know. 
That's, that's the way the whole thing comes out. And we do that, and it's kind of what happened with, with little Calvin here. Without, they, he didn't write this on purpose in that cartoon, but it works basically that way. You, you got a problem, and he says, it's unjust, it's unfair. And his dad's answer is, well, life is like that. Life is unfair. And then Calvin says, I object. Sometimes it ought to be unfair in my direction. You know, I ought to get the favorable situation instead of the short end of the stick every once in a while. And then the resolution that he knows that he's in trouble if he just doesn't go ahead and accept it and go to bed. So the whole thing is resolved at that point. Well, that makes a pretty good comic, but it probably doesn't make you feel good about, about any of this, about, about the unjust things that are in your life. They're not some cute little thing about having to go to bed early. Because life, when it comes tumbling in on you, it comes in like a brick wall sometimes, doesn't it? And who knows what you're thinking right now about the sadness in your life or what Paul could be thinking about if he thought about that. So let's, let's, let's look at it then. You wonder why I'm, I'm doing this because Paul follows this format. You can see it. First of all, when you look at the first part of what he's saying, specifically verses 3 and 4, instead of talking about the injustice so much, he, he just, just assumes that there's going to be injustice. We know that's true. And so he goes on and says, this is what our attitude, you know, this is the attitude I'm afraid that you Philippians are having. Now let me remind you that Paul loved the Philippians with all his heart, but he knew that the Philippians were not perfect. I love you folks, and you love each other with all your heart, but you know as you look around this room, that you're not looking at somebody that's perfect. The Lord Jesus is perfect. The rest of us have to be reminded to not let the devil get us from time to time. And so Paul, in talking to these people that he loved, didn't say like, like Kennedy said long ago, don't get mad, get even, you know, when, when you feel like there's injustice in the world. Instead, what he said is, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop being conceited. Do nothing, whatever you do, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, you can tell that he knows that they've got some problems here because he mentions don't be selfish, don't be conceited, don't have personal interests. If we tell our kids, don't do this, have you ever told your kids, don't do something? And the kid looked at you and say, I have never even thought of doing that. Now you got me thinking about doing it. But you know, it's, but you know, you don't do that. You usually say, don't do that because the kid is doing that, right? That, that's just insane any other way. And so it is with Paul. The church there in Philippi, as much as he loved them, had a problem with singing the blues. Don't we all? Every once in a while, it's not fair. It's just not fair. And so Paul, when, he, when he, he wrote to them, he says, don't be selfish, don't think about yourself, don't be conceited, don't look after your personal interests. Instead, this is what I want you to do. Focus on Jesus. Everything about us is Christocentric, brethren. And the reason that churches of Christ have become as, as focused on Christ and like the name Christ and like to be called Christians or any other name in the Bible, it doesn't matter, just any name that especially focuses on Christ, disciples of Christ and, and things like that. But the reason we are so crazy in love with Jesus, we are. We're just so crazy in love with Jesus is because we stole it from the Bible. Everywhere you turn. If you decide you're going to preach through the books of the Bible, you're going to be Jesus crazy. You just can't get away from it. 
can't get away from Jesus. You can't even get away from Jesus in the Old Testament because the Old Testament anticipates and even prophesies everything about the coming of Jesus. It's getting everything ready for Jesus. Jesus. That, that's what it's all about. And so Paul, in a Christocentric, my big word of, of, of my whole ministry, I don't have a whole lot of big words, but that's my, that's my big word there. Christ-centered, Christocentric. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be understood or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in likeness of men. The answer to the problem of, of, there being, of it not being fair is to have the right kind of attitude, not the wrong kind of attitude, but an attitude of humility that just humbles ourselves and says, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus react? How would Jesus feel? Young people used to wear those all the time. Boy, that was one of the best things that probably ever happened culturally to the church. I don't know if there's anybody ever does that anymore. But it helps you to stay focused on really what it's all about. All the rest of it is garbage, Paul says, calls it rubbish. In fact, he uses a little bit of a nasty word and says it's all dung. And if you've ever shoveled anywhere, you know what he's talking about. It's in the Greek. He says that's the way all the rest of it is, except Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, that's what really, really matters. And when we find ourselves focused on Jesus and just being absolutely adoring and in love with Jesus, somehow or another, when some little something, somebody tells us we've got to go to bed early, or even if the Lord tells us, I'm going to take you home early. Whatever it might be, whatever you're facing, it's all about Jesus. And somehow they're singing the blues. It's just the, it's, you, the joy is never stolen. And you, just like Paul in that jail cell, you just keep saying, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. It just cannot, the joy cannot be taken away. Somebody in Calvin-like fashion is going to object, though, and say, well, it's not, you know, you, here you're telling us that we need to be humble. That's great. But, well, Paul doesn't leave us here. And the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible, remember that. This is not Paul talking. This is not me talking. It's not even Paul talking. The Holy Spirit inspired these things. This is God speaking to you. And in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 8, God said, the, the, he doesn't tell us to write a book on humility and how I achieved it, or even like old Mac Davis' song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, and all, all that stuff. Instead of, instead of uh, trying, to get, trying to become humble that way, he tells us the only way, once again, is to focus on Jesus because he was being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How did he humble himself? You can see it. I've got it so bright up there you can't miss it. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. You can't just say, I, I'd, like, I'd like to be able to say, okay, folks, from now on, I, I'm going to be humble. I want to be humble. And so from now on, to help me be humble, everybody here, when somebody says, who is, who is that? You're supposed to say, that's humble to you. So that's humble to you. Do you think that's going to work for me? I don't think so. In fact, I have a feeling that before it's over, if we actually did that before it's over, it would be old arrogant Hugh, wouldn't it? Because that doesn't work that way. So how does Hugh or you become humble? By just doing. You do it on the outside, and then you become it on the inside. You got that? 
You do it on the outside, and then you're becoming on the inside. That's where, that's where the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to begin, you'll remember, by saying, love one another. He didn't say, from now on, you people, I command you to be humble. You know, well, he, he does, but he tells you how to be humble. You start out by loving people. That's the first step. You say, well, I can go beyond that. I can even prefer that good things happen to you rather than to me. I can go farther than that. I can be, I can be a servant to you from time to time. Oh, I guess it wouldn't hurt me when you tell me what to do about this when I think I know more about it than you do. I'll just kind of do what you, what you tell me to do anyway because that's the way I feel about it. That's humility. And you can do that on the outside. You can make yourself do that. And at first, you're going to be a little bit of a sourpuss, look like you've been weaned on a pickle, so to speak, on the, out, you know, on the outside. But eventually, on the inside, you will become humble if you just keep doing that long enough. Kind of fake it till you make it. I like this little picture here. Fake it till you make it. I mean, you, got, you, act, you act like you're, you're a lion even though you're starting out more like a pussycat, right? But before it's over, you can be made in the image of the one who was called the Lion of Judah in the book of Revelation. You can become this powerful being made in the image of God ultimately on the other side, especially when you're, in, when you're literally in his image. And then you'll really not be singing the blues. It won't, it won't make sense anymore, and the result is glory. You say, what in the world do I get out of this? This is what you get out of all of this. You say, why would I want to do this? Well, the Bible tells you why, because it, God glorified Jesus for being this way. All, all the pays out of this world for doing it. You, it's, 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 it's fair. You'll be paid fairly. It'll, it, you won't be singing about how it's not fair. For this reason also Christ highly exalted. For what reason? In context, you know what he's been talking about? Everything we've been talking about. Because we're just letting the scriptures lay it down just the way it comes. I'm doing my best. If I mess up, you let me know. But this is, this is what I believe the scriptures are teaching us to do. And, and, and to understand that you, like Jesus, will be glorified. Because you've decided, instead of singing about it's not fair, instead being humble. And made in the image of Jesus. For this reason, God highly exalted him, lifted him up, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day they'll all bow down and worship him. You say, but that's not me. And, and although that's true, by implications in this context, he's saying you have this mind in Christ Jesus and God glorified him, and then you're thinking, well, maybe God will glorify me. Well, and it's true. Because what Paul implies here, he says plainly, he says plainly in Romans the 8th chapter in verse 18, one of my favorite verses, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present world, can all of you read that up there? I hope you can. Yeah, you can. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not, or present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That no matter what you're going through in, here, you're, all of the things you're going through, you say, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's, and, and it's not. I'm not going to try to argue. Paul certainly doesn't try to argue. Life simply is not fair. And so as you do that, what's going to happen is one day you're going to, and maybe you'll, uh, I've got too old to die young, but I've always thought I'd die young. But anyway, it's not going to happen, I suppose. 
But let's say I did die younger or I, and, and things didn't go right and I was just a grouse about the whole thing. I said, why, why does this have to happen to me? Why? Why don't I have any cute little grandchildren? Why don't I, you know, all kinds of things. Life is hard. And then you die. <laughs> right? And so I'm looking at it that way and life is so hard and so terrible and suddenly... I step in to the other side, and I've been singing It's Not Fair in a minor key, and singing it by, just singing my heart out. You know what I'm going to start singing? I'm going to sing It's Not Fair. I'm going to say that in the face of God. It's not fair. Why would I have all of this when I was such a mess up back there? Only by the grace of God can this little speck of time, this little planet that's a piece of dust, only in the, in the most foolish way of my thinking, could that ever compare to the glory that will be on the other side. No, it won't be fair. It'll be to my favor, not fair. Say this verse with me, would you? We'll end there. For I reckon, are we ready? Okay. For I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I fluffed that. Let's do it better together, okay? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, all of us together, did I say that? <laughs> I'm only hearing me. Let's, you guys always remember you guys as being very involved. So all of us together now. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the church of God said, Amen.